Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined for the last time this month uh, to come to the end of his short-term loan deal. Uh, Andrew Beasley, how are you feeling, mate? Yeah, Shane, this is my last appearance uh, for the Analyzing Anfield team, but hopefully I can uh, put in a good display. And uh, obviously I've only done a couple of these, but I guess it must be quite rare where you've had a couple of win, a couple of Liverpool wins to talk about in the same show. Yeah, well, in a sense, I suppose you are a good luck charm, really. So we could do with keeping you around. And you say it's your last, your last appearance as well. I have a feeling it won't be your last, like, ever. I think you will appear on again, mate. I'm pretty confident of that. But, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a decent period recording, really, because, as you say, we have picked up a few wins. We've just beat West Ham, so it's another win. Um, what did you think of the game? Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it's sort of strange in a way. Obviously, the, both teams scored uh, these long-range goals that sort of cancelled each other out. I thought Liverpool were pretty comfortable, particularly in the in the first half. But obviously, some of the same problems remained where um, West, a- West Ham were able to get through them a little bit too easily at times. I think, you know, you saw, again, sort of first half perhaps a bit more them taking advantage of, of Liverpool's right of their defence, as teams have done for many years. The sort of tactical shift hasn't sort of totally solved that. Teams are probably still going to target that side. And Saeed Benrahma um, got on the ball quite a lot, possibly should have done a bit more with it and things like that. But I think overall, you've got to be you've got to be happy with the performance. I think they deserve the victory. The sort of late potential handball aside might have ruined it. But um, yeah, I think on the whole, they played pretty well. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the long-range goals there. Actually, I, I thought that earlier in the game, I thought that was quite a weird anomaly that both, Teams had opened the scoring from well outside the box, and um, I mean this. I wasn't planning to talk about this, but you have just planted the seed in the end. In terms of the the goaler, um, I completely lost his name. Gakpo. What is it? Pakita. No, Pakita. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, I think his goalmates. I was quite surprised. Alec Allison conceded that. Um, I don't know about mm. you, but it felt relatively central in comparison to like. The goals he's conceded from outside the box in the past, like if you think of the Lionel Messi free kick, for example, uh, yeah. they do usually have to be either ferocious attempts in terms of velocity or just perfectly placed. And it, it don't get me wrong, he did strike it fairly well, but I thought that just based on what we've seen in the past from Allison, that's probably um, I don't want to say the worst goal he's conceded from outside the box, but it it, it did feel like usually he would prevent that from going in. I don't know if he was unsighted or what. Yeah, I think did it take a slight deflection? It looked like it might have. Like I don't know if that sort of wrong-footed him, something like that. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you go back through his early time with Liverpool, and there was hardly any goals conceded from outside the box. I mean, there was one um, Burnley scored direct from a corner when they basically had two guys holding him down, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, uh, which technically counts as a goal from outside the box. But in terms of those sort of, you know, fairly central shots and stuff like that. There, there, there really haven't been many over the years. I mean, I'm sort of looking down the list of the ones he's conceded from further out. And um, I don't know what the sort of distance and the XG was for that one yesterday. But yeah, like you say, it's probably one of the worst ones. It wasn't in the top corner. It wasn't, you know, it didn't even look like it was travelling that quickly. It was, it was a surprise to see him close to it and yet not able to stop it. But um Again, you know, I think we spoke about him last week, didn't we? And I think with everything he's done this season, we can we can forgive him the occasional thing because he's he's kept Liverpool at a vaguely credible level when it when things could have been much worse this season. But um, yeah, I, I suspect he'll be disappointed with it, and it's the sort of thing we 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 won't see from him too often. Yeah, I mean, we certainly are criticising him as we said last week. It's you know we we owe a lot to him this season in terms of points, even despite our current position in the table. He's overperformed, I think, by at least ten goals. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that. It was, I think, it was around twelve last time I checked. 
I've just had a look at the, the XG attached to the shot. Only using understats model, but understats have got it at 0.02. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in, that, that shot basically goes in 2% of the time. Yeah. Um, so that's a relatively strange one for him to concede. But then at the opposite end, Gakpo's was also a 0.02 shot. Um, bit of a strange opening to the game, I suppose. But I think Klopp touched on it after the game. I thought Liverpool's reaction was really good. Um, past couple of months, we've talked about that and how it's been just generally really weird to see Liverpool suffer these kind of setbacks and really, you know, the heads drop, essentially. This felt like more of a, we've conceded first, but we can still go on and win this. It felt like there was an element of belief there and maybe stemming from this new system that we're working with. Players seem to like it. Players seem to be getting the best out of, out of themselves with it, certain players in particular. And uh, I think one of them is probably Curtis Jones. I think for me, he was he was very, very good again. Mm-hmm. Four starts in a row now. He's keeping Thiago on the bench, which is which takes some doing. And if if it was me as well, people who listen to this show will know I'm a huge, huge fan of Thiago. I would keep him on the bench as well. I think Jones has been one of the real ideal fits for the nature of of this system. What you need to play as a number eight in the system now compared to before. Yeah, I saw your um, newsletter. Was it yesterday? Earlier this week, anyway. You sort of talked yeah. about. Um, Klopp referring to the midfielders as tens rather than eights, uh, which is sort of an interesting change of tack, it feels like. Um, People probably seen the various stats from yesterday, but obviously um, Jones was very high up on the list for progressive passes, progressive carries, receiving progressive passes as well. I mean, I know his his eight progressive carries has only been done once this season by anyone at Liverpool. Salah did it in a game. I can't remember which one off the top of my head, but... um, to do that many um, in a game is has been quite rare. And obviously Liverpool dominated possession as, as they have done in their last few games. And obviously them having more of the ball is going to give their players more opportunities to record these sorts of stats than than in some other games. But no, I, I thought he was really good. Um, I've just finished an article for .com, probably be out by the time this is released, about how you know Henderson found him in the box a couple of times in the first half. And, and you just don't really see that from Liverpool midfielders, one setting up another in the box. Uh, one was just a pass, one was for a, for a chance, for a header that Jones had. Not a great header, but fact is it, it created a chance. And you haven't seen that from from Liverpool midfielders um, very much at all, if ever. And, and maybe this is, you know, it's hinting at what's going to come in the future with Klopp talking about tens and the fact that these guys are linking up for each other, crossing to each other in the box and that sort of thing. You know, it's um, not something we've seen, but it's very exciting to think about what it might lead to in the future. Yeah, well, I'll touch on a quote now, actually, um, if I can find it. <laughs> I think, yeah, it was it was something along the lines of, of Klopp touching on um, Forrest and how they man-marked Liverpool's box midfield, which I thought was interesting. Obviously, we haven't touched on that yet because that was over the weekend and Liverpool have played again since. Yeah. But in that game against Forrest, Liverpool used this box midfield again, Fabinho, Trent, Henderson, Jones. And the way in which Forrest counteracted that was... They basically man-marked them, so the centre of the pitch was really jam-packed, um, and it caused problems for Liverpool. I think Liverpool generated about 0.4 xG in open play, yeah, and about little. two, yeah, about 2.9 xG from set pieces, which is insane. Um, so that's one way to win a game when when the middle's clogged. But more often than not, I funnily enough, I thought this West Ham game was going to be relatively similar without the set-pieces, because West Ham, up until this game, have conceded the fewest goals from set-pieces all season with three. Now it's four on the back of Matip's goal, which we will probably touch on. Um, But yeah, Liverpool are going to face these kind of... Now that Liverpool seems to be going forward with this 3-2-5 shape with the ball, we're going to face these kind of nullifying tactics every now and then. Forrest showed us that. And... um, West Ham showed us a different version of it, I suppose. It wasn't specifically man-marking. Um, but Liverpool did well to, to navigate it. And you, you touched there on um, on possession that we've that we've picked up. So this has definitely been a new a new change on the back of the system. So against Forrest in the 3-2 win, we posted 80% possession. That's our most all season. In fact, I don't know if you've got the numbers, mate, but that I'd say that's possibly the most of Klopp's tenure, is it? Maybe. 
Yeah, I think there was maybe one game. Um, I'm pretty sure there was. I have got the numbers here somewhere uh, where they had like 81 or 82. But I mean, yeah, it's right at the top of, of what yeah. they normally um, way above what they would normally have or could normally expect to have. Uh, let's yeah, have a I mean, look. Yeah, they, they had 82 in the game against um, Everton last season at home that they won 2-0. Yeah, I mean, okay. that was 82% possession. So that was perhaps a touch higher. But um Sort of broadly similar game. Obviously, Liverpool very dominant against a struggling team. Um, so, yeah, it is rare for them to sort of hit that 80% mark. Yeah, well, just looking at the numbers for the season so far, in three of the four games that we've played with this new 3-2-5, we've posted 72% possession or more. So 80% against Forest, 73% against Leeds, 72% against West Ham. Um, they are all inside Liverpool's top seven totals for the Premier League season so far. Um, so it it shows how this is kind of, how this new shape has kind of impacted the landscape quite dramatically. And in terms of Jones, obviously you touched there that it, it it brings him into like number ten spaces. He can perform like a number ten rather than a kind of controlling number eight, which is what the left sided number eight has been in the previous seasons. Um, and I think you know you, you mentioned there that he was top for for progressive carries. He was top or joint top at least for progressive passes as well. He posted eight of those mm-hmm. alongside Matup. But in addition to that, kept the ball an awful lot as well. In addition to moving the ball forward, I think he misplaced two passes on the day against West mm-hmm. Ham. So just a really top performance. And um, I mean, you mentioned. Couple of weeks ago, mate, that you listen, you've listened to on Lazarus Anfield over the years. One of their talking points that has popped up every now and then on this show has been Curtis Jones. Mm-hmm. What's what's he doing? Is he a sellable asset now? Is he coming on? What's the problem and that sort of thing? And I, I like to think that I've been relatively patient with him. Mm-hmm. But what, what's your take on him as a player and and specifically now? I mean, yes, I, I know now it's a lot easier because he's looking really good lately, but. Past couple of months, past couple of seasons, really, it's it's been a little bit tricky to pinpoint where he's going as a player. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I've always broadly been a fan. I mean, as you say, he's sort of been in and out of the side a little bit, and he's had all these starts in a row recently, which obviously helps. I think you're still seeing one of his perhaps biggest issues is is sort of holding on to the ball. A little too long, he'll find himself in a great position, bring the ball forward, and then he's he's not picking the right pass, or he's being, you know, tackled by an opponent and stuff like that. I mean, if he could get that out of his game, then you know, then he'd possibly be a superstar. I don't know, but um, yeah, I've I've always been a, a sort of fan, and it's interesting to see him developing now because it sort of makes you think. Well, if he'd been fit earlier in the season, perhaps Liverpool midfield issues wouldn't have been quite as pronounced as they have been. I mean, that's possibly praising him a little bit highly, but. Having that kind of player available would would certainly have changed things, and it's and it's interesting to think how it might have gone. But um, yeah, while he remains ultimately a saleable asset in the sense that he's of you know approaching peak age, I think he's twenty two, and he and he recently signed a long contract. I mean, I'm hoping they don't um, sell him this summer and give him a chance to see what he can do next season, because as we said, the the uh, the recent games have shown that he could well be an asset. Yeah, well, as I said, I think a lot of it comes from this this system change, and a lot of it would depend for me on whether this is going to stick around. If we are going to stick with this moving forward, it does totally change the kind of duties that that are lying on his shoulders in terms of playing as a number eight for Liverpool. In this system, he can play predominantly in the final third. We know he's very attack minded. He's got a past as a bit of a forward as well. Um, he's quite skillful, close control. And I think he's actually, past four games, I think he's looked more comfortable on the ball than Henderson has. Um, whereas the previous version of Liverpool's 4-3-3, as I said, that that kind of left-sided number eight was a controlling type. It was about mm. dictating plays. It was about accelerating the game at the right times. It was about keeping the ball, um, not being too expressive or kind of attack-minded unless... The game needed that, which we know Wijnaldum could deliver every now and then when, when Liverpool needed a goal. But um, it really is a, a complete shift in, in terms of responsibilities and stemming from Fabinho and Trent holding the fort behind them. So if this is going to stick, I think it'll definitely stick for the rest of the season. So I think between now and the end of the campaign, Jones will probably continue, continue to impress for me. I would have no interest in, in introducing 
a Thiago or anything like that ahead of him now. I think Jones has locked it down for me. Um, so hopefully he keeps going in the same vein. But it is yeah, over the past few years, he has been the kind of player that you have had to be patient with, even though, as you say, he is still only 22, which in reality, one of the things we have to think about is Liverpool usually probably wouldn't sign a player until he was at least 22. So all of the development Jones has already done, we don't typically see that as Liverpool supporters. That gets done at like Porto or Roma or Southampton or whoever you want. And then we get the finished product when he's here. And I think if you look at like players at Barcelona and Real Madrid, their academy graduates that end up making it, they don't actually end up making it in terms of being fixed starters until they're like, like 23 onwards. It, it's only every now and then you get like a real anomaly, like like a Gavi potentially starting as an 18-year-old. So I think his age needs to be reinforced, really. He's still only 22, and uh, he's still got plenty of time ahead of him. Yeah, I think it works both ways. I mean, if it doesn't really happen at Liverpool. I was about to say, if everyone's fit, that never happens. But if everyone's fit and, and playing well, then he probably doesn't get the opportunities um, to shine. And, you know, he's had yeah. these opportunities lately and, he, and he's done well. But yeah, like you say, I mean, he's 22. I think we've mentioned before, he's sort of like the oldest of the young guys, if that makes sense, before you hit Liverpool's midfield void of nobody in sort of peak age. He's the oldest of the young guys. And I think we're starting to see him... Um, hopefully not reach his full potential, but, you know, he's sort of heading in that direction. He's just starting to improve um, pretty much all the time. And um, yeah, I think he, he could be a key player next season. I mean, you know, next season is Thiago's last on his contract. It's hard to imagine them offering him an extension unless he has a remarkable season next season. So it, it could be, we're seeing Jones sort of going past Thiago in the, in the pecking order, which, which seems kind of crazy, but I think the way things are going. And as I say, Thiago only having one year left, that could be where we're at. Yeah, I agree with you. Actually, I don't really think Thiago's deal will get extended. I think that was the original plan to get him in as a 29-year-old, use him up for a few years, and then just let him go when it's when his contact expires. So I've got no major issues with that, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of Jones maybe improving as a player and areas he can work on, you did mention there about his, his tendency to hold on to the ball. I think if you look at that, for me, there's players out there that do that, and it's not a problem because when they release it, it's such a a dangerous pass or whatever when they do release the ball that it works. And a player who comes to mind with that is, is Grealish. Grealish is a player over the past few years. I think Graham Sooners has come out actually and, and criticised him on the back of it just in terms of him holding on to the ball. But for me, it was never an issue for Grealish because when he did finally release it, he'd kind of attracted so many bodies towards him that his next pass would be really dangerous or it would open up a defence, split the defence. I think Jones can hold on to the ball quite a bit and he does attract this attention, which is good. But then his eventual pass might just be five yards to, to the side of him. And um, in that sense, maybe you give the opposition a bit of time to kind of get back behind the ball and things like that. So... But in terms of his strengths, you know, he's a, he's a keen ball carrier, we know that. Um, I think his counter-pressing as well has been really, really good over the past few few games. Liverpool's counter-press has, has definitely returned, and I think that's why maybe we're posting so much possession of late. Um, I think potentially as well, looking at the type of player he is in terms of being like attack-minded and stuff, I think he can potentially like final penalty box a little bit more with his passes and, and maybe deliver a, a few more in terms of like goals and assists and things like that, but getting extra critical a little bit there, 24 games in this role, but I do think he's got areas to work on while also having obvious strengths as well in the data. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's worth mentioning, you've just sort of reminded me there talking about the counter-press and stuff like that. I mean, um, one thing I noticed yesterday, like Liverpool made more tackles than West Ham, more interceptions than West Ham. They matched them for, for ball recoveries. It looked to me, from Statstone, they, Liverpool made something like 10 in the final third. So if they're outworking teams defensively while also having um, 73% possession or whatever it was, you know, very high very high share of the ball, then, I mean, that that's only a great thing. I mean, that's going to delight Klopp, those kind of numbers, because we've seen for much of this season Liverpool being outworked by the opposition. And obviously, it's a fairly crude way of, of measuring it. You know, people like to look at distance covered and sprints and all these things, but they're not so easy to come by. But... I tend to think that if Liverpool are dominating the ball and dominating the defensive stats, then that's that can only be a good thing. And 
Jones has obviously uh, contributed to that much as um, much as the other players have recently. Yeah, well, another player who has kind of shined of late and certainly did against West Ham, I thought it was one of his better games so far, was, was Cody Gapo. Yeah, obviously opened the scoring. And I, to be honest, the way in which he opened the scoring, I have expected a tiny bit more of that, actually. Just based on what he did at PSV, one of the perks attached to his game is he, he can strike a ball and he can um, he can finish from, from distance if you need him to. At Liverpool so far, maybe some of those efforts from outside the box have been a little bit rushed. A little bit panicked, but when he does connect, he—I mean, this—it wasn't even that great of a connection, to be honest. It was just extremely well placed. I think it might have crept in off the post, actually. But Gakpo does have that to his game, and I suppose in comparison to someone like a Firmino, for example, that's something that he's probably got a bit of an edge on him over. I think he's a bit more of a goal threat than Firmino was, more of a threat from outside the box, certainly a better ball carrier. But then there's other ways in which Firmino certainly has the edge so um but he still seems to be being used like this kind of um false nine but i suppose it is slightly different now considering liverpool do have two advanced number eights either side of gapo whereas firmino was just kind of occupying all of that space on his own which which made him special really analyzing anfield on the blood red channel yeah, they're, they're obviously sort of slightly different types of players. But um, yeah, I've been impressed with Gakpo lately. And as you say, goals from outside the box is, is sort of an issue for Liverpool. I mean, I can understand why they try and make better quality chances. It, it sort of makes sense. But something that's stuck with me since last season is that, you know, Liverpool scored more goals than Man City from from inside the box, which you might not have expected. But fewer yeah. overall because they hardly scored any from outside the box whereas City have always been pretty good at that with guys like um, De Bruyne most obviously Rodzi yeah exactly um, Vincent Company, unfortunately a couple of years ago <laughs> those those sort of goals um, yeah. that, tend, that tend to stick in the memory you know but um, yeah so it's something Liverpool have sort of struggled with and I know before the Leeds game they'd only scored four from outside the box um, Jota then added two but obviously his were I mean, they were outside the box technically, but they're probably in the D. So it's sort of, you know, borderline, if you like. So that one from Gakpo was, was sort of like a real rarity. I mean, you have to take single shot figures with a, with a pinch of salt. But on the FB ref um, page for the match, it says the chance was 0.03 XG. And uh, in the post shot, 0.49. So he's taken a one in 33 shot. And then with his finishings, basically made it a one in two chance of, of being a goal. They say he hit it from 31 yards. I can't imagine there's been any further goals out than that um, from Liverpool this season. I can just have a quick look, but um, yeah, yeah same. adding that sort of adding that sort of um, threat can only be a good thing. It's just, as I say, something Liverpool have sort of um, have sort of been lacking in recent times. Perhaps tactically, as I say, trying to get good chances, but um, yeah, apparently it equals Trent Alexander-Arnold goal against um, Rangers, which I think was a free kick. Apparently. So, um, yeah, other than that, longest range goal Liverpool have scored in open play this season. And um, coming so quickly on the back of, of West Ham scoring, you know, we've talked about it's good that they came from behind to win. Well, maybe they don't if they don't equalise as quickly as they do. So, um, yeah, good goal at a good time. Yeah, well, it's, it's insistent that you mentioned that actually in terms of the goals from distance, because I think so far this season, Liverpool, in my opinion, for the most part, have been pretty good in attack in terms of like, Consistently been in the top three in the Premier League for expected goals per match, which is fine, really, in terms of Liverpool's level. It's been the defensive side of the game where Liverpool have been like 11th, 12th, 13th, which is really bad, obviously. Um, But one thing I did, I, I wrote a piece on this maybe about a month ago when Jota and Diaz were returning to full fitness. And it's just this kind of concept of... it To an extent, it sounds very simplistic, but the more you score, the more points you tend to get. Um, and it tends there's, there's kind of like a general rule as in like for every goal you score you get one point that's kind yeah. of how it roughly works out if you look at the end of the season so for example last season Liverpool scored 94 92 points uh, Chelsea scored 76 74 points Spurs scored 69 71 points you know that kind of thing it's, it's usually quite close um, and lately, obviously, Liverpool have introduced a bit of firepower and the scoring in different ways in terms of like 
Gakpo scoring from distance, Jota scoring from distance. Against Forest, we scored three set pieces. Um, against West Ham, we scored a set piece. We've got introducing Diaz from the bench, who Klopp has touched on in the past, has has good long-distance shooting. Uh, introducing Nunes as a substitute. So I think Liverpool, this kind of introduction of new ways to score goals, essentially, is, is always obviously going to benefit you in terms of uh, your ability to win games and find ways to kind of deliver solutions on the pitch. Yeah, Diaz has been um, good for that. He scored from outside the box against Palace, which um, obviously equalised around a point. And he also scored at Napoli, which was ultimately completely pointless. But, um, you know, another long-range <laughs> goal there. Good to see. Um, yeah, just being able to sort of mix it up with all these different options. I mean, it comes back to sort of joking about, oh, everyone's never, you know, you never have everybody fit. But, you know, Klopp's got the, all these different forwards are basically available now. I mean... I've been impressed with a lot of what Nunes has, has done this season, but he's barely getting a look in now. And um, he's sort of fallen down the pecking order just because the other guys are coming in, have come in and are doing a really good job. Um, but yeah, if they can add long-range goals, I mean, they've always been pretty good at set-piece goals. They seem to have come in a bit of a flurry recently. I, I did hear on the um, Liverpool TV review show that this was the sixth time Liverpool scored three set-piece goals in a, in a Premier League match. And um, they also did it against Bournemouth earlier this season and they did it against Palace uh, last season at Anfield. That was 3-0, if I remember right. So that they, they have these games in them, more so than sort of Liverpool teams of the of the past. But I think we're seeing now how important they can be. I mean, you know, for all the benefits we seem to be getting from this um, new tactical system, as you mentioned, they created very little in open play um, against Nottingham Forest. I think last night a tiny bit better on that front. But again, it's a goal from outside the box and a set piece. You know, they're not really creating really great big chances. I think Jota possibly had a couple um, last night, one a header and one he hit it over the bar, I think, in the first half, something like that. But they haven't yeah. been creating a lot in, in open play. So they need to remain good at these, uh, at these set piece opportunities. Yeah, well, Liverpool have 14 goals this season in the Premier League from set pieces, which is the most in the Premier League. Um, that's probably might be a surprising start for a lot of people listening, to be honest, because I don't know about you, but certainly my dad, when, when, when we're watching the game, he always, I think every fan, to be honest, always thinks their own team can never cross the ball beyond the first man. Um, we do suffer from that, every team suffers from that, but yeah. Liverpool are surprisingly good from, from set pieces when it comes to scoring 14 in a single season so far, which is obviously very good. Um, another player, again, really, really good again was Trent. Um, I just, I mean, he looks at home, doesn't he? He looks like he's played there his whole career. And to be honest, it's it shouldn't have been, it shouldn't be a surprise because if you think of the inverted fullback and what that role consists of and the players who've occupied that role, the few players who've occupied that role over the past couple of years in different in different leagues, it is the kind of Trent player in terms of mm. a, a fullback who is intelligence, really good vision, really technical, great passer of the ball, composed, cool. And Trent is all those things. And I think so far, he just looks like the ultimate inverted fullback for me. I mean, it's, we're judging this based on four games, but he looks he looks perfect. He looks like he's so comfortable doing it. He doesn't look like it's a challenge to him at all. He looks like more of a midfielder than Fabinho for me. So, uh, yeah, long may I continue, really. Yeah, he's been going. He's been going really well there. I mean, I think we said in the past um, shows, you know, have to be wary that Liverpool haven't played too many great teams with this system. They did play Arsenal, but that, you know, that's come from two 0 down in that game, and then they've played three struggling teams. So you always have to bear that in mind. But no, I mean, he's looking great. I mean, obviously another another assist last night owed more probably to to Gakpo's finish than the pass, but. You just see the pass he made. I mean, that's that's from a central midfield role. That's not a right back sort of pass through the centre of the pitch there to the to the centre forward. You know that that doesn't happen probably if he's playing as a as a standard right back. And it's and it's not an accident that he's sort of creating all these chances and um, you know from from that position. I think we did we say on this last week about you know sort of linking up with Nunes quite a lot and stuff like that. Maybe Jota. I think there was a good pass to him last night, sort of through the centre of the pitch as well. Yeah, and all these kind of things. You know, ultimately, getting your best passer on the ball more often—it's it, it, not rocket science, I suppose. But if Liverpool can do that with this system, which they seem to be from the limited evidence, then um, then it only bodes well because 
Trent can pick out anybody from there, basically. So, um, yeah, long may that continue. Yeah, I do think it's insistent that this can't, this role is, has almost forced him to basically keep the ball more often than he ever has before. Um, against Leeds, he, he, he posted a pass completion of about 90%, just under, which was his most for the season. Against West Ham last night was his fourth most for the season in, in terms of pass completion, his fourth highest pass completion for the season. His sixth was Arsenal. Um, the game against Forest was surprisingly low, actually. He only po- he posted under 70% for that game, despite playing in central midfield. Maybe he was trying too many things in that pack midfield or something. But, you know, he's keeping the ball more often, but while still being um, his, his usual creative self, really. I think, is it is it five assists now? Four assists or so in the past four games, something like that. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously, there is quite a bit of um, set play involvement there. Uh, you know, they've yeah. not all been in, in open play or anything like that. But um, yeah, he's, he's creating chances still. And um, I don't know what you think. I mean, it seems to me like he's sort of better sort of defensively almost, like sort of getting back from midfield positions and harrying opponents and stuff like that and winning the ball back. I mean, maybe it's just something I'm sort of hoping to see and I'm sort of picking out the good examples or whatever. But it seems to me that he's sort of... Um, defensively thriving from that position as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think that just the team in general looks look so much more stable. I think um, obviously West Ham got out once or twice, but it is difficult to keep the, the likes of Paqueta and, and Bowen and, and players like that consistent, and Ben Rahman as well, consistently contained. So I think they got out about as much as they would have got out during Liverpool's absolute peak when we were at the top of the world, really. Um I think Liverpool did really well to console the game. The counter-press, as I said, has been so impressive the past few games. I think Jones has been a really integral part of that. I think it's the reason why Gakpo and Jose are consistently starting every week rather than Nunes, for example. Like you mentioned there, that Nunes can't really get a look in. I do think it stems from the defensive side of the game, really. Because I think if you were to include Liverpool's most dangerous players on the pitch, for me, Nunes is comfortably there. Um I think he's still comfortably top of the Premier League for shots paying ninety. Uh, we know he's a chance magnet and he's really he's really quick and things like that. Massive threat in behind and stuff, good in the air. But defensively, maybe it's it's not really there yet. Like I don't know if you've seen the clip of from a set piece, Jordan Henderson, um, basically grabbing hold of him and telling them who to mark type thing. And on the back of it, obviously, it ended up in with Henderson with egg on his face essentially because the space that. Henderson moved Nunes out of we ended up conceding from against Forrest, I think. I think, yeah. it, was Gibbs, I think it was Gibbs White. Mm-hmm. But yeah. what I'm what I'm what I'm getting at is the fact that Henderson even had to do that. He just wouldn't have had to do that with Mane, for example, you know, or Firmino, you know. So I feel like Nunes maybe has to work on that side of his game a little bit. Um mm-hmm. but overall, the eleven that Klopp's been picking lately, it's it has been so much better defensively and I suppose this that that can bring me on to just looking at Liverpool's numbers for these this this kind of period. So for the season, Liverpool have not been posting dominant numbers to the extent that we haven't deserved to win consistently because mm-hmm. each game has been essentially a coin flip. Um, Liverpool's past four games against Arsenal, we posted three point nine expected goals. Arsenal posted one point four. Most weeks you probably win that. Mm-hmm. Against Leeds, we posted 2.7 ex- expected goals and give away 1.4 again. Again, you probably win that most weeks. Then against Forest, we posted 2.8, give away 0.9. And against West Ham, we posted 1.9 and give away 0.8. So for me, you've probably got four deserved wins there. We only actually got three because of the draw against Arsenal. But this is the kind of noticeable shift, really, that this kind of new system has delivered, which is it's kind of come out of nowhere, really, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be hypercritical, and obviously we always are about our own team, all fans are, I mean, they've not given up much in expected goals, yet they're, they're not keeping clean sheets. You know, they are conceding, um, even though they're not giving up very much. But the, it's more important to focus on the process. And uh, as you say, it's sort of heading in the right direction after a season in, in which it hasn't. 
the possession is going to help with that. Obviously, if they can keep the ball more, that should restrict the opportunities for the for the other team, even though they they are still having some. But um, yeah, I think it's just just they've just got to find that balance where they can create a bit more in open play. And um, it's, as we've said, it's great that they're so good at set pieces, but you can't sort of rely on set piece goals. They've generally been very streaky for them this season, scoring sort of you know three and three games, and then. They had a run of 20 matches where they only scored two set-piece goals and, and now they're hot at them again. I think that sort of thing is fairly common. You know, you'll, you'll have good yeah. runs and bad. So you you can't rely on that um, as great as they've been in the last few weeks. So we do want to see more from them in open play. But um, yeah, I mean, on the whole, as you say, they're sort of they're putting in performances where they deserve to win games. And that's certainly not been happening on a consistent basis throughout this season. Yeah, well, this brings us on to our next game. Obviously, we have Spurs. Um, it's going to be an interesting one and one of the reasons it's going to be insistent is because of what I've just touched on really in terms of Liverpool are top of the league for set-piece goals but up until last night when we when we scored against West Ham using Joel Matip we were joint top with Spurs um, who have had Gianni Vio as their kind of um, set-piece expert all season he was brought in by Antonio Conte Conte is now obviously left his backup has also left now two sackings somehow. Um but VO has stayed. So uh, it's it could come down to set pieces to be honest, which could be interesting um on the weekend. But I mean I don't know, mate, what do you, what, what do you make of Spurs? <laughs> it's hard to know where to start, isn't it, really? Like yeah. you, most weeks they seem to be in crisis and yet they were still fifth in the league or sixth in the league till last night. I think Liverpool have gone above them in on goal difference with the win against West Ham. But it feels like, you know, if you sort of think about it, it feels like Liverpool have had a much worse season, but that's probably because we pay far closer attention to Liverpool than we do to, to Tottenham. But it does feel like they've had a lot of bad performances, particularly away from home. Um, obviously, Newcastle being a standout example of that last weekend. And yet they're still sort of up there in the leagues. So I think they still pick up wins every so often. But um, yeah, interesting game because obviously, you know, Liverpool last season were had a really good season, but they did struggle against Tottenham at Anfield. It finished 1-1. I think Tottenham had chances to to win it and Liverpool needed a goal from Diaz. Was it deflected? I think it might have been, if I remember rightly. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's a long time ago now. It's like 12 months ago and, and Tottenham are and not even the team they were then, much less at their best under sort of Pochettino three or four years earlier. But um, yeah, just a strange club to 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 sack Conte with uh, and then replace him with his assistant who was going to do the same thing. I mean, you had you had Conte basically talk himself out of a job with that um, press conference at Southampton. And I think most people now are saying, well, actually, a lot of what he said is basically right, or it seems that way. And then you've got his assistant take over and he's basically got himself out of the job by selecting a back four at Newcastle when Tottenham hadn't played with a back four since, I can't remember when it was, 2018 or something. I did see the stat. A long time, basically, because they've had, you know, like they've been playing with a back three. And well, you, you know, there's nothing wrong necessarily with shaking things up to, to try and sort of get a reaction or response or, a, you know, improve the, the team and, and things like that. I mean a bit of a risk to do that at Newcastle when they've been flying, particularly at home this season. I mean, it's sort of offering offering up Newcastle a chance to to have the advantage there. And they took it in uh, in quite spectacular style. But um, so I'm sort of confident Liverpool will be OK. But it is also fair to say you just don't know what Spurs are going to um, turn up. Obviously, as we're recording this on Thursday as well, they're playing Man United tonight. So that's another big game for them. Liverpool have a an extra day's rest. It's a tight turnaround for Tottenham. Thursday to yeah. Sunday, and I guess that can only help Liverpool as well. Yeah, it's it's such a shame that they did the back four against Newcastle rather than Liverpool. That that could have been hilarious. I mean, I'm going to say it could have been a bloodbath. It was a bloodbath at St James's Park anyway. Yeah, but that was a bold move to go to go and do that. Um, and I think on the back of that, they will naturally go back to a back five for the rest of the season, probably. Uh, yeah. We will see evidence of that tonight, as you say, against Manchester United. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they, they are, as you say, a really strange, strange team. I think previous seasons we've been concerned that they've been, above all else, a bit, a bit of a two-man team. Um, this season, they're a one-man team. You know, Son Young-Min seems to have suffered the same kind of season as, like, many many Liverpool players in terms of, like, burnout and stuff like that, potentially. Yeah. But Harry, Harry Kane's just just doing what he's always done. He's, you know, 20 goals uh, non-penalty 
so far in the Premier League this season. Only Erling Haaland has more, and he's only got seven more actually in terms of non-penalty goals. And if you think yeah. of how much better City have been compared to Spurs, you know Kane just keeps doing it. Kane just keeps ticking over. So I think he's still the main threat for Liverpool to cater for. Um, I think Kulusevski is a good player, but not particularly sure what's happened there. And I think defensively, I mean, I haven't actually looked at Spurs' numbers this season. Actually, in terms of the underlines and, and and where they where they lie in the in the league, but you say I think generally they are quite an up and down team that are really difficult to predict. And every now and then they do pick up one or two results, uh, but overall it's it's difficult to determine just how good they are. So in terms of the attack so far this season. They are 7th, I think that is. Uh, yeah, 7th for expected goals per match. That's non-penalty. Mm-hmm. And on the defensive side of the game, I assume this is going to be worse. Um, oh, no, it's about the same. Um, okay. Yeah, they're about 6th, actually, defensively. So, in that sense, if you look at the Premier League table, they're about where they should be, uh, which is quite interesting. But Liverpool, for example much, much better in attack than the iron defence. But lately, the defence has maybe crept up a little bit and improved a little bit. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game, really, isn't it? Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. It is. I'm just looking at the Premier League table and I see Spurs have conceded the sixth most goals. So they've, they've obviously got a bit of a problem there. I mean, it, it seems like Hugo Lloris just basically gave up at half-time at Newcastle. I mean, he supposedly came off with an injury, but I think a lot of people <laughs> yeah. would be a bit suspicious about that after the first half he had. And um, it's funny with Lloris. I think I've got a bit of confirmation bias with him, but I've always sort of thought, oh, he's always got an error in him. I'm not sure he's that good. And then, you know, sometimes he'll have good games. I mean, he's, you know, he's a World Cup winner. So what do I know, really? But, you know, I sort of feel like they've probably kept him on a bit too long. And you can understand that, you know, it's hard to find a good goalkeeper. Liverpool know enough about that over sort of, you know, years prior to, to Alisson, it is hard to get a good goalkeeper, so you want to hang on to one when you've got one, but sort of feel like they've probably hung on to him a bit too long. And you mentioned yeah. about set pieces. I was just looking on here. I mean, Harry Kane has scored seven set-piece goals this season, which is the most of, of any player. Um, so he's obviously the, the sort of man to watch for in, in those situations as well. I mean, you have to think Liverpool will have too much for, for Tottenham, but as I say, they've, they've proven problems in the... They've given them problems in the past... They're very good on set pieces. I think Liverpool have generally been good on set pieces. I mean, they've only conceded five goals, it says on who scored. I think there was a Canate own goal, which won't be counted in that at Brentford as well. But, you know, generally been pretty good on um, defending set pieces. So if they can keep Spurs at bay that way, what else have, have Spurs got? I guess we'll find out. But um, I think if I remember rightly, Spurs won the XG when Liverpool won at Tottenham um earlier this season I think they missed some good chances and stuff like that so it's it's not impossible they could pull out a performance I guess but um hopefully not of course yeah well I'd be a lot more concerned if if Conte was still in charge fully enough I think I know it's it went sour and things like that but he generally off the top of my head seems to do reasonably well against um I don't know if it's specifically Klopp but in bigger games when he can be a bit of an underdog I think he can be I know he's got a good record against Guardiola um and you just mentioned there about Hugo Lloris. I, I agree with you. I think, you know, he is now 36. We do have to bear that in mind. Um, but this season so far, he is underperforming. Expected goals by about 4.1. So he has conceded more than he should have in terms of like the average goalkeeper and stuff. But one thing that's that's insistent about Lloris, I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this story on this podcast, but obviously Liverpool signed Alisson Becker and um, he's proved to be... <laughs> an outstanding goalkeeper, probably the best in the world when it comes to shot-stopping and overperformance and things like that. And a lot of that stems from Liverpool's analysis of him, which which is why, which is where Ian Graham essentially comes in and the, the model and all, that, and all that behind the scenes. But Ian Graham is the man who suggested that Spurs by Lloris, um, right. well, well over a decade ago, when he was just kind of emerging on the scene at Lyon, I think it was. And... Um, that was kind of on the back of him not necessarily being a great ball player, not being the type of keeper who might make mistakes. That You remove all of that. It's just based on his shot stopping. And if you look at his shot stopping over the past five and a half seasons, which is what we have data for, he is over, overperformed by a fair amount. 
He's mm. um, overperforming by 16.3 goals over the past five and a half Premier League seasons. So it's it's funny how like and Minulay fitted this mold as well. Minulay was a bit of an overperformer in some in some areas when it comes to this, specifically in his final season at Sunderland, I think it was. Mm. But that's when you then need to do the further analysis and you would find out that Minulay is maybe not very good with his feet. Larice is prone to just these random errors that kind of cancel out the good shot stopping every now and then. Um, but yeah, that's just a bit of a <laughs> bit of a step back in time there. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I just yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say with Mignolet, I, yeah, you're right. He did have great numbers at Sunderland, even with the real basic stuff that was available in, at that time. But I think he sort of proved the problem with the stats in in some ways. Is you know he was really good when they were because they were a low block team. Yeah, and he was good at that sort of thing. And then obviously Liverpool play a more expansive style and give up a lot of decent chances as a result. And uh, yeah, he wasn't right for that. But um, yeah, it sort of shows how, you know, perhaps goalkeeper maybe more than any other thing. I mean, it, you know, they can look good in one system and then look way out of their depth in, in another, just big, different tactical styles and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting stuff. Um, I did say last week, and we'll, we'll conclude with this, I did say that if we if we win our next two, which was against Forest and West Ham, that we would talk about the top four. <laughs> um, I must be honest. On the back of the wins, I did check the table last night, and I just I hoped that it'd look a bit better than it does. But even though Liverpool have won three in a row now, we are still just a bit too far off for me. But we are in. I suppose was vaguely in contention. You could potentially say, but to be. Six points behind fourth when fourth have two games in hand on you. It does still feel really unrealistic, but I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this, mate. I don't know if you're going to have a bit more positivity than me. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at 538, Liverpool's chances have improved over the I was last just week. Gonna, I was just going to yeah. do that, actually, yeah. The, the problem is Liverpool's chances have improved from 12% before Forest. It went up to 13% and now it's gone up to 17%. So it's edging closer. But I mean, 17% is still only a one in six shot. You've got Newcastle, 87% chance of top four and United, 88% chance of top four. I just can't see it. I think if they were in this position with maybe 10 games to go, 12 games to go, I would be like, yeah, it's on. And I think it's funny, you know, it sort of felt like when they beat United 7-0, let's mention that again, um, <laughs> it sort of felt like top four was on and then it just didn't really, they didn't sort of kick on from there. And I think not kicking on then has ultimately meant that they're just too far back, as you say. Being points behind and games in hand, it's just hard to see. I think Liverpool, I think Liverpool could potentially win their last six games that they've got left, I think. Yeah. Tottenham is theoretically the hardest of them and, and obviously they're not having a great season. So I don't think it's impossible Liverpool win their last six games and finish with 71 points. But 71 points hasn't been enough for top four. It's just sort of just outside generally. And with the other teams having their advantage, you know, I think it's going to be very, very tough. I think if you were sort of chasing down one, if three were really up there and there was one you could sort of aim at, but... You know, I think it's going to be very difficult. I think United and Newcastle should be okay from from here because they haven't really got any other distractions. United went out of Europe. They've got the FA Cup final, but that's after the end of the season. So that doesn't really play a part. So you could maybe say United's injuries might catch up with them, but it's still a big advantage to make up in the space of six games, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the difficulty of it is we, we have reliance on clubs above us to, to drop points. And... They're not great teams, but they're not. They're also not bad teams either. I think specifically Newcastle. I do think are a good side this season. Um, United and Newcastle have both basically got the same odds on to to finish in the top four. United eighty eight percent, Newcastle eighty seven percent. So there's, I suppose, the same probability that either of those will will stumble. We just kind of need to put the pressure on to make it so that that can happen really our next three games at Anfield which is a good thing if we can win three games in a row maybe that turns up the heat a little bit um, but I don't know just for a, a bit of perspective I'll, I'll quickly run through what the games that Newcastle and United have left because that's that determines whether we can get top four or not to be honest it's not really on us it's on them um, so Newcastle have Everton away Southampton at home Arsenal at home, Leeds away, Brighton at home, 
Leicester at home and Chelsea away in the final game of the season. So I don't think that's an easy running, to be fair. I think that there could be one or two slip-ups there. I think obviously Brighton I rate. I mean, I was going to say Chelsea away is is a tougher game, but I'm not sure if it even even is, to be honest. Everton away, they've got next, which could be be tricky, you don't know. And you've got Arsenal as well. Um, And if you look at Man United, obviously they've got Spurs tonight, away from home. Villa at home. Brighton away. West Ham away. Wolves at home. Bournemouth away. Chelsea at home and Fulham at home. It really is a coin flip between who is going to struggle more, Ali United and Newcastle. They've both got similar-ish fixtures and, and things like that, so we are reliant on them, but hopefully something happens. You suppose you never know with football. And Liverpool needs to put the pressure on to make it happen, I think. But Yeah, yeah I mean, sorry, I'd just say both are playing tonight away from home. I mean, if both lose tonight, you know, it doesn't suddenly make Liverpool favourites by any means, but it, you know, it just keeps things interesting if they... Lose at Newcastle and Spurs. Uh, sorry, lose at Everton and Spurs. Then um, yeah, it could get interesting. You never know. But um, probably need another couple of wins before we can think any more about it. I think. Yeah, do you know what? To be to be honest, without wanting to come across as like, I mean, a bit a bit wrong, really. But we need we need a few injuries, mate. I think we need them to to lose Trippier or something like that, or Rashford to to go on the on the sidelines or something. Um, but yeah, it's one to watch anyway. It's one I'm sure we'll keep talking about until Liverpool can can stay in the race. But yeah, Bees, thanks for joining us, mate. It has been a pleasure to, uh, to podcast with you over the past month. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Happy to uh, step in when required. And uh, hopefully Liverpool could keep winning, even in my absence on the podcast. So as we say, they've been doing all right these last few weeks. So let's hope that continues. Yeah, well, uh, as I said, it's been a pleasure to have you on, mate. And I'm sure you'll be on again next week. I will be joined by someone different. And I'm going to leave that... Um, vague for now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make our listeners just tune in to see who that is. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us, mates, and uh, we will see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.